Hey, hey there, business owner. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Evolution Podcast. This is our weekly episode, and I'm so happy you are here. Let's get started. Thank you for being here for this week's episode of the Entrepreneur Evolution Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Walter. I'm a business growth coach, operational strategist, and growth-minded entrepreneur just like you, scaling two businesses on the national level. Today's guest is Stephanie Malik. She is a crisis expert and founder of S. Malik Enterprises. She has a global presence and she has solved and demystified many crises within organizations behind the scenes. She has a fabulous network and she shares so many real honest tidbits about crisis and organization, what to do, how to prepare, and how to be on the defense versus the offense when it comes to managing the day-to-day of your business and a crisis occurring within your world. She's so generous, in fact, that she's put together a one-sheeter for us. It's in the show notes. You can also find it at www.stephaniemalik.com forward slash I evolve. Her name is spelled S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E-M-A-L-I-K. Again, that's in the show notes below. If you need to just click on that, it'll take you right to it. I want to share before we get started a common trend I've been seeing with my coaching clients and it's hiring. It is the pain of team development and finding good talent, developing your talent. And that's why I've put together a really great program for you called the Team Maker Formula. It is a really deep dive into your organization, doing a complete audit of the seven pillars of your business to make sure that we are utilizing talent and identifying the next best hire for you, and then setting that interview process and really defining and scrubbing through the candidates so that you end up with the right person for your team. It will save you thousands. It will probably save you more than that in your organization because we all know how expensive the wrong hire can be. I encourage you to DM me or reach out and schedule a breakthrough session if you hadn't had the chance to do so yet. I want to learn more about you and your business. In the meantime, high five for being here. High five for doing what you're doing. I am so proud of you, entrepreneur. Keep evolving and enjoy today's episode with Stephanie. You are really going to enjoy this. I'll see you soon. Welcome, Stephanie. How are you today? Thank you so much. I'm doing well. I'm really happy you are here today. We are joined by Stephanie Malik, and she is the founder of Malik Enterprises. Is that correct? S. Malik Enterprises. S. Malik Enterprises. S-M-E, right? Yes, exactly. Oh, that's great. That's great. So you are a crisis management expert, and that is just such a specialty, such, such a niche, and we can't wait to learn more about what you do and your story and be here with our audience today. So welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for the invite. Let's start with a history, catch us up to speed. Give us like the Cliff Notes version of, you know, how you got here. I know you have a huge background and, you know, just start wherever you want to start. Sure. So, um, you know, I know everybody hears this on so many different podcasts or speaking engagements that I do, but, you know, not an overly amazing childhood. Um, Father drowned when I was three. Mom had a complete psychotic break. 
um, really never recovered, got emancipated when I was 15, um, finished school at 16 by independent studies, started college, um, got finished with college at 20, uh, got married at 21, had a baby at 22 and was a newly single mother at 23 paying alimony. So that was fun. Grew up professionally through Silicon Valley, really nothing amazing to speak about in it. Honestly, really hard work ethic. Yeah. Um, and just really, you know, I had a little girl and so I had to have some key differentiators and that was just, I would work harder and I would ask more questions. Um, you know, I couldn't go to happy hours. I couldn't really go to off sites and bond with the team. I had a little one that was relying on me. Right. So my work truly had to stand out. Mm-hmm. And so really I just constantly was creating new processes, new procedures on how to do things better and more efficiently. I would ask people that were senior leaders in Silicon Valley, if I could have 15 or 20 minutes with them, or if I could walk with them to their car, or if I could buy them a quick coffee. And I would just have three or four prepared questions on how do I do better? What can I do differently? Um, How do I be a standout, you know, in the middle of Silicon Valley where there's, you know, tons of MIT, Stanford, Yale, Harvard graduates just vying for the most entry-level position. How can I be a standout? And um, really my work ethic worked. You know, I just uh, created amazing relationships, grew up in Silicon Valley, was the youngest uh, director of a publicly held company, Mm -hmm. um, held a global position at 26 years old Mm -hmm. when I had no business directing anything. Um, But yet I did. Uh, And finally kind of really formed great relationships with venture capitalists and board members and was just the go-to person to ask about new talent or, Hey, what keeps you with these companies? Or, you know, you know, how did you get that sales deal? You know, what made them go with you? And they started Mm -hmm. reaching out to me. Mm -hmm. And after that happened, and I I really just, I loved answering the questions and I loved seeing the growth from that. Mm-hmm. In 2002, which was the absolute worst time ever to start anything, um, I started a consulting firm, a management consulting firm, professional services uh, in 2002. And Tom Siebel was my first client. Siebel was purchased by Oracle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like post tech boom or just in the, you know, it, towards the tail end of it, right? It was the, it was the dot bomb is what mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. 2002 was like literally the worst time, you know, people were doing unthinkable things. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were so many suicides and everything because of just tech falling apart. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, you know what service it's really about service. How do you get in and service these people and really kind of do things differently, if you will. And so we did in 2002, we started a business in the first quarter, we built over $2 million. Um, I grew Malico to a multi-million dollar firm in 22 global locations And it was awesome. Um, You know, integrations, implementations, uh, you know, the cloud before the cloud was a cloud, right? (laughs) All of that fun, good stuff. Partnered a lot with Accenture and PwC and Deloitte, you know, Nike, American Express, really, really huge name brands Mm -hmm. and just treated them a lot differently. Like, you know, just really treated them like they weren't a sale to me, but they were actually a relationship. So I can't tell you how many times before I started my own firm, I can't even tell you how many times I got written up when my boss was writing along with me for not asking for the sale. Mm -hmm. And I really cared about the relationship. I really cared about walking into their office and and looking around and going, wow, they have amazing art, but they have no family pictures Mm -hmm. or, you know, gosh, the office is completely disheveled. I wonder if they have an EA. Just Mm -hmm. really kind of thinking things through and it worked. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So Malico grew to a multi-million dollar firm and we had a 1% turnover in talent, which I was just incredibly, incredibly proud of. Right. Um, and then, and then, you know, really, Annette, it started to not be so much a service business. It started to be like the lowest cost business. Everybody started to offshore to India um, or to Malaysia. And I started getting not, I don't want to say bored because I loved my clients so much. I started getting complacent, I think is better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't really growing and people were like, yeah, but look at, you've been all over the world. Your kids have been all over the world. Absolutely. I, I would never, ever in a million years, take that gift away. Right. But I was just kind of stagnant myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just kind of like, I could go in and do a deal with my eyes closed. I felt like I started becoming more of a hindrance to the company because I wouldn't really, you know, truly flush things out and and give it my all. I was bored. Mm -hmm. And what I started doing is I started kind of getting really close with the executives, like the C-suite or the board and start saying, Hey, you guys, what's keeping you up at night. Mm -hmm. And I started really focusing on their human consulting their human behavior, Mm -hmm. how they were connecting, how they were being perceived by their cohorts, if you will. Um, How are people receiving them as a leader? And I started noticing small things that they could tweak. And I started saying these things and it just literally flew. They're like, Hey, can I book time with you? Hey, can we get together? Hey, what does this look like? Um, And it was, it was just, when you see that sparkle or that light go off, Mm-hmm. It's the best feeling. It is. It's so, it's so rewarding. And I love that you can see that in people because not many people can see that in themselves. And there's so many words that are coming to mind, Stephanie, as you just gave a really great backdrop of your, your history. Number one is observant. You're completely observant, fully aware of your surroundings and everybody else's surroundings, their behaviors, their belongings, you know, where they're growing, where they're going, where the company's growing and your tenacity and your hard work, right. Being in survival mode and then growth mode, and then getting to that point of honest, you know, okay, I'm bored. What's next. I'm here. So, so when do you launch your current enterprise? Tell us about that. So I launched my current enterprise by, by accident. So, so I was a hundred percent into coaching. So it was, Um, it was all performance coaching. And, and the thing that really, Annette, we talked about this a little bit. The thing that really was astounding to me was anyone could call themselves a coach. Yes. It didn't matter what they could be 24 years old and be a mindset coach or be 20 years old and be a money coach. And I was so baffled because I had always been vetted so harshly. Right. I mean, just vetted. Oh, Steph, you've only signed a $20 million deal. We're looking at a billion dollars. Sorry. You're not a runner. Mm -hmm. So I was really looking into this whole coaching thing. And I was like, what? And I remember the very first client and that, sorry to go off topic, but I remember the very first client that I got, I remember thinking I'm not qualified. I I don't have a certificate at, you know, the ICF. Um, I don't have, uh, any of these hours built up. I don't have any of these type of things that I needed. And Mm -hmm. I remember feverishly hunting to get certified. And I remember the venture capitalists and the boards, they were literally laughing at me. They were like, are you like real right now? And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, Stephanie, you've already had all of the experience. No one cares about the process. And the process is going to be different with everybody. 
I had imposter syndrome so crazy because I was like, no, I have to have it right. I have to have those certificates on the wall. I have to have this. And they were like, you don't stop. Well, how so does that when I got to be validated like that by them? Um, you know what? The most honest I can tell you was I was literally like, what the hell do they know? They're an executive or they're a billionaire or they're whatever. How would they know what normal people or normal C-suite people are looking for? How will they know what the, what the, um, supply chain is looking for, what they're going to ask for. So I didn't, I didn't take it as any validation at all until, Uh until Uh I got my very first client. Okay. And what year is this date stamp us here? This is November, 2016. Okay, great. And I can't give you the details because it's super private, but essentially I get this really crazy frantic phone call in the middle of the night and it's by somebody I know really, really well. And he needs some help. And I said, sure, tell me what it is. And he's like, you know, I kind of have a little bit of a rogue executive. This is what we're thinking is going on, but we're not hundred percent sure. And I'm literally standing there in that going, Like, I don't have any, I, like, I'm so completely confused. And so he's like, can you, can you, can you talk to him? And I was like, yeah. And so I do, I talked to him. I ended up uncovering like a three, $3 million scandal. Mm. That's not really a $3 million scandal. That's a $36 million scandal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I uncovered it very carefully and very discerning. Mm -hmm. Um, and very quietly. Mm -hmm. And I got all of the pieces that needed to happen, Mm -hmm. calmed everyone down, the participants, um, the, 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 the wounded, if you would say, you know, the ones that didn't know anything that was going on. And I got them to a place of negotiation. Um, and I will tell you it was 96 days and everyone was whole. Wow. So we, we set up all legal, ev- all, all professional services. So all legal services, by the way, this was in three different countries. So that was really tricky. Yes. Um, there was a lot of public influence, meaning if one thing slipped, the public would know about it and it would destroy a bunch of personal lives, yes. including wives and children. And that's the yes. thing I take, you know, really. So, um, we did that asset managers, liquidators, uh, professional services, therapists, inpatient programs, um, business coaches, you name it. We had everything set completely fulfilled within 96 days, um, to where the company was actually whole paid back in interest. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just the, the X hell that you see from the board, from the executives, from the C-suite, from everybody who's, are we going to lose our job? Are we not going to lose our job? What's next? Like just the right. overall crazy, the panic. right? The panic, the panic mm-hmm. just totally dissipated. And to see that, and that it was all based on my resources and my negotiation skills and the people right. that cared about me so deeply to take a chance, right. To trust you, to believe in me, right. to believe in me. Right. I, I had never done this before. I mean, I had done it smaller scale, you know, deals always go bad. You know, this deals always go bad. Oh yes. But public and like celebrity or athlete or public company, that's a whole new level. Mm-hmm. And so when we, when we got done with that client and that I was so like, everybody's like, Stephanie, you're like walking on clouds. 
And so I, I thanked him. I sent him a really beautiful letter and I just said, thank you so much for thinking of me. And he's like, oh, we're not done. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like there's a market for this crazy. And he was like, oh yeah, there's a massive market for this. And so he sent me my next two or three crisis clients. And from then on, SME has three lines of business, business consulting, um, high performance coaching and crisis, uh, expertise. Wonderful. Well, great. And, you know, I love how that came about because they reached out to you. They connected with you. They saw something in you that you hadn't quite uncovered yet. You knew was there. You knew so much experience was there and you were yearning and searching for these credentials to still kind of build your confidence and get you there. But they really aligned with you and trusted you and saw that. So crisis management is, is such, um, I'd say when you're bringing in a crisis management consultant or advisor, it's always too late. And this is what I always tell my coaching clients. It's always too late because you need to be on the defense and not on the offense. So how do you go about approaching your clients? Because I would imagine the majority of your calls are that reactive. This just happened, you know, stuff's flying all over the place. What do we do? How do you get in front of them beforehand or, or, or talk to them about the process of being on the defense versus the offense? How does that work in your organization? So, so here's the thing we just recently did a huge study about this. And I would say over half of my clients that I've had, we're at 40 clients now in the last four years. Okay. I was in front of them proactively and they would not listen. They had no desire to listen. They were like, Oh yeah. You know what? A proactive crisis plan. And I, and, right, and they're not there, right. They're in the weeds. Like they're not there. And, business, right? and Annette, it didn't matter. It didn't matter how I explained it to them. <laughs> Excuse me. Right. It didn't matter if we talked about a general liability retainer where I could actually retain the top talent right now for anything that was going to happen. And then I could actually create workshops around making sure your executives never go through this crisis mm-hmm. to where it's going to be like you said, insanely reactive, horribly humiliating, not only for the firm or the company, but for your family. Right. I was in front of them. I was in front of them for cybersecurity assessments. I was in front of them before breaches happened. I was in front of them before affairs and infidelity happened. Right. I got tipped off one time from somebody I knew really, really well, really well, who was a household name. Mm-hmm. And I, I've known him for years. And I just reached out and I said, I text him and I said, Hey, can we have a quick conversation? And I started the whole entire conversation with how many times, okay, first, first of all, how long have you known me? How many times have I ever asked you a question that I already didn't know the answer to? I know what's going on. Things are going to blow up. Please let me help you. No call until it blew up. Right. And so I think it's a behavioral thing. I think it's, I think it's really a behavioral thing. I think it's for some of the executives and some of the firms, I think it's arrogance. And then for the other side, I think it's ignorance. I think they just never think they're like, why me? I'm, I'm a smaller firm. I'm under a billion who would come after me. You would be so surprised because those are the people that don't have crisis experts in mind. The other thing that I'll say to that is people always mistake us for a crisis communication firm. We're not a crisis communication. Right, firm. You're not a PR firm. No, we have it. We have a PR arm and thankfully right. there's exactly two people in it because out of 39 clients right now, only one has ever gotten to media. 
No one has ever gotten to media because of how we lock up these contracts and how we message um, and create the best case solution for them. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's also, you know, a capacity thing, right? It's, you mentioned the arrogance and you mentioned, you know, kind of the, the, the ignorance of it, but it's a capacity thing. You can only handle really what's in front of you at that moment for the most part until Mm -hmm. the next thing happens. Right. Right. So, so if you were to give, um, advice to these size clients, to these, these, uh, these companies and CEOs out there of the one thing that you can be proactive about, right? The one thing that you can kind of um, CYA, right? Is there any go, go-to tactic or go-through thing that they may not uh, realize that is pretty simple that they should be thinking about right now? It's so different with every firm and every size and every, like I hate to give canned information because mm-hmm. it's just very different. Mm-hmm. Um, our methodology is very similar to all of them, but it really depends on how, how public they are, how right. visible, how I handle an athlete is completely different than how I handle a public firm. Right. The one thing I would say in that, because I do want to give you something is creating and developing your crisis team before you need it. Mm-hmm figuring out your tree, figuring out how, who, who, and how will be communicated to figuring Mm -hmm. out that one phone call and making sure that your crisis expert is online available and that they have their team lined up. We have people that we were on retainer with that's never used us in in the whole time we've been in business. I check in with them maybe every four to six months just to find out how they're doing, but we're just on retainer and they know who they're who their liquidators are. They understand who their asset protectors are. They understand who their professional services team are. And most importantly, they understand their legal team and who would be representing them, not the firm, the actual counsel. And that's important. Exactly. Good. Well, good. You've done such a great job of growing your network, of leveraging your network and really digging deep and finding what you're truly passionate about, making an impact, right? Tell me about Spin It behind you. Um, For those that can't see that are listening on the podcast, um, she's a beautiful backdrop behind her that says Spin It with Stephanie Malik. Tell me more about that. So, um, so Annette, about five years ago, somebody came to me and said, you know, Hey Steph, I really think you should start a podcast. And I just started laughing. Like I was like, sure, I'll do that between two and three in the morning. I mean, when, when, like you said, people focus on what's right in front of them. I had four kids and a disabled brother and like a thing after thing after thing. I was like, absolutely not. Not only that, I had never listened to a podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, usually when I'm, when I'm, when I'm driving, I have one of the kids with me Mm -hmm. or when I'm driving, I'm on a conference call. So I haven't, you know what I'm saying? So I I didn't have anything. I was like, podcast, what are you talking about? Right. But, but a few people said, no, listen, you're so inspiring and, and you want to make such a bigger impact. This is a greater reach. And I was like, I don't, you're speaking a completely different language to me right now. No. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say in the last year, we have had the most amazing results with our crisis team. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been, you know, we've been kind of dubbed the dream team. Um, it's not that people come to us and get it, get a, a better result. People mm-hmm. come to us and get a quicker result, a much less public result. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we are able to do things that normal crisis teams are not able to do. So the big, huge names. So you think of the college admission scandal, Mm -hmm. um, you think of the Ponzi schemes and the Rico schemes and the money um, laundering. We have all of those attorneys. And a lot of times those attorneys work with us in a much discounted rate because I understand the law. I am really helpful with kind of getting them the information that they need, handling the emotions of the client, making sure that the whole entire client is serviced organically and holistically, whatever that may be, whether it's, you know, air transportation or personal security or whatever it happens to be, we take care of everything. One bill, one shop, one team. Mm -hmm. So when we started getting great results with this, everybody kept saying, Steph, seriously, people don't understand that there's a different way to move through this journey. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing, if you think about this, Annette, and, and I, now that we're talking about this, I urge you, okay, go talk to people and go, Hey, you got in trouble for whatever money laundering or tax evasion. What do you do? They always call somebody who they think had a similar issue. And it doesn't matter what the crime is. It could be my son, Rudy had a DUI and this guy got him out of it. And the guy was in California, but you're calling me from a New York firm and you've taken $60 million. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what it is. You Mm -hmm. need the right expert. The right expert has the hard skills. So they have the negotiation skills, Mm -hmm. but they also have the relationships with opposing counsel. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, above everything else, their personality fits with our client and our client's family. Mm -hmm. Because you can have a total, you know, hard ass, if you will. And it just doesn't mesh with that family. Or you can have somebody who's very non-communicative and we'll call you when we'll call you. And then that, that family is on, on edge. We don't do any of that. You're communicated with weekly. You have a spreadsheet every single week of our services. And so spin it really focuses on obstacles into opportunities. Mm -hmm. It's just stories of how people prevailed, how they did it differently. Um, and I'm really excited about it because, because while we haven't, you know, I made a commitment to not have any clients on until we get to a hundred clients. Okay. Cause I don't want people's privacy or any, any, anything compromised at all. The people that we've had on it are inspiring. They are making massive impactful changes to other people's lives. They are true leaders, whatever, um, whatever industry that they're in or whatever problem they're helping right. solve. So spin, it was just about, about creating a space for that. That's great. And the podcasting platform is fun and it's such a great way to share others' story, share your story, learn more about people. It's just, it's great. You know, I'm really glad um, that you've been able to launch that and, and we're going to share that in the notes below. So Stephanie, I know you have four kids. How do you do it all? How do you stay busy and happy and productive and sane and all of that good stuff. Any tricks on your daily morning routines, evening routines as an entrepreneur that you can kind of share with the audience of entrepreneurs out there? Absolutely. So, I mean, I, you know, and here's the thing you're going to, I'm, I'm real. I'm super real. How do I do it? I don't think anybody really knows that. Like, I think that, you know, I look back on it now and I look back on having a baby in Silicon Valley. So my oldest daughter is 26 years old. She's 26. I was 22 when I had her. When I was 23 years old, I was paying rent in Silicon Valley, right next to Oracle Park in Mm -hmm. Silicon Valley. My rent was 2350, $2,350 
at 23 years old with a baby and I'm paying my ex-husband alimony. Oh my goodness. So when so I look, look at back and you're like, how did I do it? Right? right. And that, and that's really it. And how did I make all of our soccer practices? And how was I president of the PTA? And how did I, and I ask myself that mm-hmm. I think you don't really know when you're in it because you're just going and you're trying to make an impact and you're trying to inspire others and you're trying to be the best mom or parent or person or worker that you're trying to be only now I look back and I'm like, Oh my God, how did I do that? Like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's crazy when you hear their memories, mm-hmm. when you hear my 26 year old talk about my mom was always a parent, mom, a room mom. My mom was always soccer mom, my mom. And I'm sitting here yeah, going, is she, right? mm-hmm. is she delusional? And was I really like, is that, wait, are you sure? Like, it's crazy. And then you add, you know, another one and then another one and then another right. one. Right. I think having really, really good boundaries with them. Um, I think always having an open door policy. I don't, I can't remember the last trip that I took. And sometimes I'm gone two or three weeks where one or two of them weren't with me. Mm-hmm. They are with me everywhere that I go with the understanding that there's a lot of alone time. There's a lot of downtime, but right. then there's a lot of time together. Right. Um, that's one of the things. So we're always, always together, much to their chagrin. I am a very involved mother. That's great. Um, well, and it's good in parenthood when you can, you know, really show up as your total self and, and in, in entrepreneurship, you know, that's main, main reason why a lot of people start businesses. They're like, I right. want to be in control of my schedule. I want to be present with my kids. I want Absolutely. to have the ability to really work my plan and plan my work. Right. That's so, exactly right. I just think it's so important. And I know that our listeners out there love hearing stories of busy parents of four kids that are really blowing it up, launching podcasts, uh, running global companies. And it's just phenomenal. You should be really proud of yourself. And I can only imagine where you're going, Stephanie. It's great. Oh, thank you so much, Annette. And you know, I mean, the thing I would say to everybody is it's not easy. And if somebody tells you laptop lifestyle and toes in the sand and, and you constantly see social media or you constantly scroll and you see those people, it's not real. It's not sustainable. You just keep doing you keep practicing you. Um, you know, I always say this, I always say, people ask me all the time, what is your morning routine? I have a morning routine for 90 days and then I change it. Mm -hmm. Um, you need to be able to pivot, but a lot of times people, Annette, they pivot too soon. They're like, Oh, two weeks. I'm still exhausted. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not how it works. Stick with your plan, have really, really solid people around you to support you and love you. Don't surround yourself with a bunch of yes. People have some no people in there questioning people or clarifying people as well. And then I would say the biggest thing that you can do is just keep going, persevere, Mm -hmm. be calm, stay still. And then look at the people that are doing it around you. They're lifting you up alongside with them. So good. And so true. And sometimes so hard to remember, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good. You are wonderful. Where can we find you online? I'm going to drop everything in the show notes, but go ahead and, and tell us here while people are still with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's Stephanie with a Y. So it's S T E P H Y N I E Malik.com. Mm-hmm. And, um, every social handle is Stephanie Malik. So you can go to LinkedIn, you can Perfect. go to, um, to any one of the social handles, Twitter, Instagram, every one of them, it's the same one. That's great. And I know the huge nugget today is to really make sure that entrepreneurs out there, regardless of their revenue size, employee size, 
length of, of, of time in business is to make sure that you have your crisis management team in play, that you have that tree. I like how you use that word, that tree ready um, and a good go-to person to call because things will happen. Obstacles, challenges, all of them, you know, outside, you know, various big things in the world happen. So we have to be ready as business owners. So thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and thank you for sharing your inspiration and everything, Stephanie. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Wow. What an episode. Did you learn something new? I hope so. I am so happy you were able to be here with us today. I'd love to hear from you. Leave me a review and I will be sure to read it and respond to you. Also, if you'd like to email me, my email address is urock at iEvolveConsulting.com. Hit subscribe and every Tuesday you'll get notification when the next episode drops. We really have some amazing interviews and tips in the future. Anything you need, I'm here for you. I want you to keep your momentum. I want to help you stay accountable. I want you to stay inspired. I want you to evolve. So please let me know what you need and I'd love to hear from you. Take care until next time.